0: Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. So, it's not my fault that book that we just went through was so short. They wrote it like that. I mean, it was really, really, really short. And But before that, we had a really great book, like an absolute classic book. I read two Books, after that classic book, they just were really short. The second book only took an hour and a half. That's not on me. I still enjoyed reading it. I still made fun of it. I still got my jokes in. It's not my fault that it's so small. Ladies, y'all know what I'm talking about. You do what you can with what you got, right? My bad. I shouldn't be talking like that because, as you heard, there is no explicit warning uh, at the beginning of this episode, which means that this is... A children's book what I've decided to do is I'm gonna do a classic book a hood classic book and then a children's book so right now we're doing the children's book after this I have a book in mind already for the hood for the uh, hood classic book for me or the good classic book yeah so good classic hood classic children's book which is another good classic except this good classic I've never read before um so I was minding my own business, being me, being Derek, being cool. You know how it goes. And one of my homies, one one of the beloved, uh, the host of the F Boys of Lit podcast, I got to say it like that since this is a clean episode, uh, Emily, she was talking about books that uh, she loved as a kid uh, in, in, in middle school, which is a kid. Uh, if you're in middle school, I'm sorry to tell you this, preteen, you're a kid. Even if you're a teenager, you're a kid. I, being where I am is at at the age I'm at, I realize that I still act like a kid a lot, which means y'all are really, really, really kids. But anyway, I digress. One of the books that she mentioned uh, was a book that I realized I had never read before, and if I had read it, I didn't remember it. And so I decided, why not? So. This book was pretty much a suggestion by somebody whose uh, literary mind and opinions I greatly value. Uh, You should check out her show. It's on Patreon. It's also on Spotify in the shorter version. But for $1 on Patreon, you can get access to all of her episodes. And she's really dope. Um, Again, it's F Boys Alit. It's not F Boys. You know what it is. You know what it is. I just can't say it on here. But with no further ado... I present to you by Katherine Patterson, Bridge to Terabithia. Now, if it's not Terabithia, you got to let me know because it reads like Terabithia. It reads like biff, but Terabithia. Okay, let's go. Bridge to Terabithia, chapter one Jesse Oliver Aarons Jr. Baroom, 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 barippity, 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 barippity. Good. Good his dad had the pickup going you know what that does sound kind of like a pickup truck baroom 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 brippity 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 yeah i can hear that my grandfather used to have a ford like it was old old ford it was a dun 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 a truck um and it i remember hearing that loud like that first intro like to where the car is being started like the vroom 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 as you get the uh heater going or the air conditioner going or whatever it may be and the car warms up or the car starts the car starting up is always a bigger sound the truck starting up sorry the dun 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 the truck it's always different starting up than the sound that it makes as it's just idling but it'll be like vroom, vroom, vroom. And then it'll be... I'm pretty proud of myself for that. Huh. His dad had the pickup going. He could get up now. Just slid out of bed and into his overalls. I used to wear overalls. Don't judge me. The 90s was a wild, wild time. I also used used to wear my clothes backwards. (laughs) Yes, children. Even back then, we were affected by rappers and trends that we wanted to be a part of. But the trend back then was to wear your clothes backwards. Because the other one, the idea to wear your clothes inside out was wiggity, wiggity, wiggity whack. Check the notes. I didn't write it. They wrote it. Google that stuff. He didn't worry about a shirt. Because once he began running, he would be as hot as popping grease, even if the morning air was chill. Or shoes, because the bottoms of his feet were by now as tough as his worn out sneakers. "'Where are you going, Jess?' Maybelle lifted herself up sleepily from the double bed where she and Joyce Ann slept. "'Shh,' he warned. The walls were thin. Mama would be as mad as flies in a fruit jar if they woke her up this time of day.' He patted Maybelle's hair and yanked the twisted sheet up to her small chin. "'Just over to cow field,' he whispered. Maybelle smiled and snuckled down. "'Snuckle, snuckle. "'You want a snuckle sandwich?' Uh, Maybell smiled and snuggled down under the sheet. Gonna run? Maybe. Of course he was going to run. He had gotten up early every day all summer to run. He figured if he worked at it, and Lord had he worked, he could be the fastest runner in the fifth grade when school opened up. He had to be the fastest. Not one of the fastest or next to the fastest. The fastest. The very best. He tiptoed out the house. The place was so rattly that it screeched whenever you put your foot down, but Jess had found that if you tiptoed, it only gave a low moan, and he usually could get outdoors without waking Mama or Ellie or Brenda or Joyce Ann. Maybelle was another matter. She was going on seven, and she worshipped him, which, which was okay sometimes. When you were the only boy smashed between four sisters, and the older two had despised you ever since you stopped letting them dress you up and wool you around in their rusty old doll carriage, and the littlest one cried if you looked at her cross-eyed. It was nice to have somebody who worshipped you, even if it got unhandy sometimes. He began to trot across the yard. His breath was coming out in little puffs. Cold for August, but it was early yet. By noontime, when his mom would have him out working, it would be hot enough. Miss Bessie stared at him sleepless as he climbed across the scrap heap, over the fence, and into the cow field. Brrrr. She said, looking for all the world like another Maybell with her big, brown, droopy eyes. Hey, Miss Bessie, Jess said soothingly, just go on back to sleep. Miss Bessie strolled over to a greenish patch. Most of the field was brown and dry and yanked up a mouthful. That's a girl. Just eat your breakfast. Don't pay me no mind. He always started at the northwest corner of the field, crouched over like the runners he had seen on Wide World of Sports. Bang! He said, and took off flying around the cow field. Miss Bessie strolled towards the center, still following him with her droopy eyes, chewing slowly. She didn't look very smart, even for a cow, but she was plenty bright enough to get out of Jess's way. His straw-colored hair flapped hard against his forehead, and his arms and legs flew out every which way. He had never learned to run properly, but he was long-legged for a ten-year-old, and no one had more grit than he. Lark Creek Elementary was short on everything, especially athletic equipment, so all the balls went to the upper grades at recess time after lunch. Even if a 5th grader started off the period with a ball, it was sure to be in the hands of a 6th or 7th grader before the hour was half over. The older boys always took the dry center of the upper field for their ball games, while the girls claimed the small top section for hopscotch and jump rope and hanging around talking. So the lower grade boys started this running thing. They would all line up on the far side of the lower field, where it was either muddy or deep crusty ruts. Earl Watson, who was no good at running, but had a big mouth, would yell, BANG! And they raced to a line they towed across at the other end. One time last year, Jesse had won. Not just the first heat, but the whole shebang. Only once, but it had put in his mouth the taste for winning. Ever since he had been in the first grade, he had been that crazy little kid that draws all the time. But one day... April the 22nd, a drizzly Monday it had been. He ran ahead of them all, the red mud slushing up through the holes in the bottom of his sneakers. For the rest of that day, and until lunch on the next, he had been the fastest kid in the 3rd, 4th, and 5th grades. And he only a 4th grader. On Tuesday, Wayne Pettis had won again as usual. But this year, Wayne Pettis will be in the 6th grade. He played football until Christmas and baseball until June with the rest of the big guys. Anybody had a chance to be the fastest runner. And by Miss Bessie, this year it was going to be Jesse Oliver Arons Jr. Jess pumped his arms harder and bent his head for the distant fence. He could hear the 3rd grade boys screaming him on. They would follow him around like a country music star. And Maybell would pop her buttons. Her brother was the fastest, the best. That ought to give the rest of the first grade something to chew their cut on. Even his dad would be proud. Jess round the corner. He couldn't keep going quite so fast, but he continued running for a while. It will build him up. Maybelle would tell Daddy so it wouldn't look as though he, Jess, were a bragger. Maybe Dad would be so proud he'd forget all about how tired he was from the long drive back and forth to Washington and the digging and hauling all day. He'd get right down on the floor and wrestle the way they used to. Old Dad would be surprised at how strong he had gotten in the last couple of years. His body was begging him to quit, but Jess pushed it on. He had to let that puny chest of his know who was boss. Jess! It was Maybell yelling from the other side of the scrap heap. Mama said you gotta come in and eat now. Leave the milking until later. Oh, crud. He had run too long. Now everyone would know he had been out and start in on him. Yeah, okay. He turned, still running, and headed for the scrap heap. Without breaking his rhythm, he climbed over the fence, scrambled across the scrap heap, thumped Maybell on the head, Ow. and trotted it onto the house. Well, look at the big Olympic star, said Ellie, banging two cups onto the table so the strong black coffee sloshed out, sweating like a knock-kneed mule pushed his damp hair out of his face and plunked down onto the wooden bench. Dumped two spoonfuls of sugar into his cup and slurped to keep the hot coffee from scalding his mouth. Ooh, Mama, he stinks. Brenda pinched her nose with her pinky crook delicately. Make him wash. Get over there to the sink and wash yourself, his mother said without raising her eyes from the stove, and step on it. These grits are scorching the bottom of the pot already. Mama, not again, Brenda whined. Lord, he was tired. There wasn't a muscle in his body that didn't ache. You heard what Mama said, Ellie yelled at his back. I can't stand it, Mama, Brenda said. Make him get his smelly stuff off this bench. Jess put his cheek down the bare wood of the tabletop. Jesse, his mother was looking now, and put on a shirt. Yes, am He dragged himself to the sink. The water he flipped on his face and up his arms pricked like ice. His hot skin crawled under the cold drops. Maybel was standing in the kitchen door watching him. Give me a shirt, Maybel. She looked as if her mouth were set to say no, but instead she said, You shouldn't ought to beat me in the head, and went off obediently to fetch a t-shirt. Good old Mabel. Joyce Ann would have been screaming yet from that little tap. Four-year-olds were a pure pain. I plenty of chores need doing around here this morning. His mother announced as they were finishing the grits and red gravy. His mother was from Georgia and still cooked like it. Oh, Mama, Ellie and Brenda squawked in concert. These girls could get out of work faster than grasshoppers to slip through your fingers. Mama, you promised me and Brenda we could go to Millsburg for school shopping. You ain't got no money for school shopping. Mama, we're just going to look around. Lord, he wished Brenda would stop whining so. Christmas, you don't want us to have no fun at all. Any fun, Ellie corrected her primly. Oh, shut up. Ellie ignored her. Miss Timmons is coming to pick us up. I told Lolly Sunday you said it was okay. I feel dumb calling her and saying you changed your mind. Oh, all right, but I ain't got no money to give you. Any money? Something whispered inside of Jess's head. Yeah, he's smart to keep that one in his head. Oh, I wish you would. I wish on every single star in the sky you would tell your mama any. Like, that's how you get, you wake up 10 minutes later and your food all gone. And they standing over you saying, Good, he came back too. I know, mama. We'll just take the $5 daddy promised us. No more than that. What $5? Oh, mama, you remember. Ellie's voice was sweeter in a melted Mars bar. Daddy said last week we girls were going to have to have something for school. Oh, take it! his mother said angrily, reaching for a cracked vinyl purse on a shelf above the stove. She counted out five wrinkled bills. Mama, Brenda was starting again, can't we just have one more, so it'll be three each? No. Mama, you can't buy nothing for two fifty, just one little pack of notebook papers gone up to-no! Ellie got up noisily and began to clear the table. Your turn to watch, Brenda, she said loudly. Aw, Ellie! Ellie jabbed with a spoon. Jesse saw that look. Brenda shut up her wine halfway out of a rose luster lipstick mouth. She wasn't as smart as Ellie, but even she knew not to push Mama too far. Which left Jesse to do the work as usual. Mama never sent the babies out to help. Although if he worked it right, he could usually get Maybelle to do something. He put his head down the table. The running had done him in this morning. To his top ear came the sound of the Timmons' old Buick. Once oil, his dad would say. and the happy buzz of voices outside the screen doors, Ellie and Brenda squashed in amongst the seven Timmons' zzzz. All right, Jesse, get your lazy self off that bench. Miss Bessie's bag is probably dragging ground by now, and you still got beans to pick. Lazy. He was a lazy one. He gave his poor dead weight of a head one minute more on the tabletop. Jesse! Okay, mama, I'm going. It was Maybelle who came to tell him in the bean patch that people were moving into the old Perkins place down the next farm. Jess wiped his hair out of his eyes and squinted. Sure enough, a U-Haul was parked right by the door. One of those big, jointed ones. Those people had a lot of junk. But they wouldn't last. The Perkins place is one of those ratty old country houses you moved into because you had no decent place to go and moved out of as quickly as you could. I thought later about how peculiar it was that here was probably the biggest thing in his life and he had shrugged it off as nothing. The flies were buzzing around his sweating face and shoulders. He dropped the beans into the bucket and swatted with both hands. Give me my shirt, Maybelle. The flies were more important than any U-Haul. Maybelle jogged to the end of the row and picked up his t-shirt from where it had been discarded earlier. She walked back, holding it with two fingers way out in front of her. Ooh, it stinks, she said, just as Brenda would have. Shut up, he said, and grabbed the shirt away from her. Okay, I might remember this book. Like, bits and pieces. My grandma, I know, who is was a school teacher. She's retired now, obviously. She's like 92 years old. But I think she had this book. And when I would go to her house in the summer, uh there would be a pool table. My best friend Jordan, who lived in the house behind us, um, a television downstairs. We were never really allowed upstairs. There was nothing for us up there but the kitchen. Um a pole that we could slide off of off the pool table because we were little kids and a box of books. Jet Magazine was in there and Ebony was in there but then underneath those were a treasure trove of books for kids. I mean like uh, My Father's Dragon and um, <sighs> red, light, red Fish, Blue Fish, One Fish, Two Fish and uh, she was a second grade teacher. So I mean, if I could remember all the books that were in there, The Great Brain and, um, I'm sure this was in there. I'm almost certain of it. Chapter 2, Leslie Burke. Ellie and Brenda weren't back by seven. Jess had finished all the picking and helped his mother can the beans. She never canned except when it was scouting hot anyhow, and all the boiling turned the kitchen into some kind of hellhole. Of course, her temper had been terrible, and she had screamed at Jess all afternoon and was now too tired to fix any supper. Jess made peanut butter sandwiches for the little girls and himself, and because the kitchen was still hot and almost nauseatingly full of bean smell, the three of them went outside to eat. The U-Haul was still out by the Perkins place. He couldn't see anybody moving outside, so they must have finished unloading. I hope they have a girl, six or seven, said Maybelle. I need somebody to play with. You got joy Sand. I hate joy Ann. She ain't nothing but a baby. joy Sand's lip went out. They both watched it tremble. Then her pudgy body shuddered and she let out a great cry. Who's teasing the baby? His mother yelled out the screen door. Jess sighed and poked the last of his sandwich from joy Sand's open mouth. Her eyes went wide and she clamped her jaws down on the unexpected gift. Maybe now he could have some peace. He closed the screen door gently as he entered and slipped past his mother, who was rocking herself in the kitchen chair, watching TV. In the room he shared with the little ones, he dug under his mattress and pulled out his pad and pencils. Then, stomach down on the bed, he began to draw. Jess drew the way some people drink whiskey: the piece would start at the top of his metal brain and seep down through his tired and tensed-up body. Lord, he loved to draw, animals mostly. Not regular animals like Miss Bessie or the chickens, but crazy animals with problems. For some reason, he liked to put his beasts in impossible fixes. This one was a hippopotamus just leaving the edge of the cliff, turning over and over, tell by the curving lines in the air towards the sea below, where surprised fish were leaping, goggled-eyed out the water. There was a balloon over the hippopotamus, where his head should have been, but his bottom actually was. Oh, it was saying, "I seem to have forgot my glasses." Jesse began to smile. If he decided to show it to Maybelle, he would have to explain the joke. But once he did, she would laugh like a live audience on TV. He would like to show his drawings to his dad, but he didn't dare. When he was in the first grade, he had told his dad that he wanted to be an artist when he grew up. He had thought his dad would be pleased. He wasn't. What are they teaching in that damn school, he had asked. A bunch of old ladies turning my only sudden to some kind of a... He had stopped on the word. But Jesse got in the message. It was one you didn't forget, even after four years. The devil of it was that none of his regular teachers ever liked his drawings. When they catch him scribbling, they screech about waste, wasted time, wasted paper, wasted ability. Except Miss Edmonds, the music teacher. She was the only one he dared show anything to, and she had only been at school one year, and then only on Fridays. Miss Edmonds was one of his secrets. He was in love with her, not the kind of silly stuff Ellie and Brenda giggled about on the telephone. This was too real and too deep to talk about, even to think about very much. Her long, swishy black hair and blue, blue eyes. She could play the guitar like a regular recording star, and she had this soft, floaty voice that made Jess squish inside. Lord, she was gorgeous. And she liked him, too. One day last winter, he had given her one of his pictures, just shoved it into her hand after class and run. The next Friday, she had asked Miss stay a minute after class. She said he was unusually talented, and she hoped he wouldn't let anything discourage him, but would keep it up. That meant Jess believed that she thought he was the best. It was not the kind of best that counted either at school or at home, but it was a genuine kind of best. He kept the knowledge of it buried inside himself like a pirate treasure. He was rich. Very rich, but no one could know about it for now except his fellow outlaw, Julia Edmonds. Sounds like some kind of hippie, his mother had said when Brenda, who had been in seventh grade last year, described Miss Edmonds to her. She probably was. Jess wouldn't argue that. He saw her as a beautiful wild creature who had been caught for a moment in that dirty old cage of a schoolhouse. Perhaps by mistake. But he hoped. He prayed she'd never get loose and fly away. He managed to endure the whole boring week of school for that one half hour on Friday afternoons where they'd sit on the worn-out rug on the floor of the teacher's room. There was no place else in the building for Miss Edmonds to spread all of her stuff and sing songs like My Beautiful Bloom, This Land Is Your Land, Free To Be You And Me, Blowing In The Wind, and Because Mr. Turner, the principal, insisted, God Bless America. So, this must be in like 64 465 Okay, so blown in the wind came out in 1963. My beautiful balloon is part of a song called Up Up and Away and it came out in 1967 as far as I could see. So, let's say <clears throat> like 68, 69. 69 was a very good year, so for music Miss Edmonds would play her guitar and let the kids take turns on the auto harp, the triangles, cymbals, tambourines, and bongo drums. Lord could they ever make a racket. All the teachers hated Fridays, and a lot of the kids pretended to, but just knew what fakes they were. Nothing hippy and peacenik, even though the Vietnam War was over, and it was supposed to be okay again to like peace. Okay, Vietnam War's over. Whoa. The Vietnam War ended in 1975. Y'all need better things to do than go to war. Like, play checkers for all the marbles. I don't care. Do something. Stop fighting. It's just stupid. Okay, so we'll say 76. I thought this book was literally written back in, like, 1924. I really thought initially that this book was written in the Great Depression. I'm sorry, y'all. I really did. I didn't know it was built closer to uh, the the 80s than the 40s. This is wild to me. I'm sorry. I'm dealing. The kids would make fun of Miss Edmond's lack of lipstick and the cut of her jeans. She was, of course, the only female teacher anyone had ever seen in Lark Creek Elementary wearing pants. In Washington and its fancy suburbs, even in Millsburg, that was okay. But Lark Creek was the backwash of fashion. It took them a long time to accept there what everyone could see about their TVs was okay anywhere else. So, I noticed the kid's book, but I'm an adult reading it, so y'all gonna have to deal for a second. Uh, According to bookanalysis.com, Bridge to Terabithia was set around the late 1970s, a period that also coincided with a period of economic hardship in the United States, popularly remembered as a stagflation period. The stagflation period refers to the period in America's economic history when the country experienced extremely slow economic growth against fast-rising prices. Hmm, sounds like now. This period was characterized by a high rate of unemployment, gas price hikes, economic recession, and inflation. This factor has a certain effect on the characters in Catherine Patterson's Bridge to Terabithia as the reader sees how Jesse's family struggles. I'll read more as we move further on through the book, but yeah, definitely. So the students at Lark Creek Elementary sat at their desks all Friday, their hearts thumping with anticipation as they listened to the joyful pandemonium pouring out from the teacher's room, spent their allotted half hours with Miss Edmonds under the spell of her wild beauty and in the snare of her enthusiasms, and then went out and pretended that they couldn't be suckered by some hippie in tight jeans with makeup all over her eyes but not on her mouth. Jess just kept his mouth shut. It wouldn't help to try to defend Miss Edmonds against her unjust and hypocritical attacks. Besides, she was beyond such stupid behavior. It couldn't touch her. But whenever possible, he stole a few minutes on Friday just to stand closer and hear her voice, soft and smooth as suede, assuring him that he was a neat kid. Now in my younger days, I used to wear a shag. When I went to school, I carried lunch in a bag with the apple for my teacher because I knew I'd get a kiss. Always got mad when the class was dismissed. But when it was in session, I always had a question. I would raise my hand to make her stagger to my desk and help me with a problem. It was never much. Just a trick to try to smell her hair or sneak a touch. That's Jesse. It's also the far side. Pass me by. Classic. 90s. Hip-hop. We're alike, Jess would tell himself, me and Miss Edmonds, beautiful Julia. The syllables rolled through his head like a ripple of guitar chords. We don't belong at Lark Creek, Julia and me. You're the proverbial diamond in the rough, she had said to him once, touching his nose lightly with the tip of her electrifying finger. But it was she who wore the diamond, sparkling out of that muddy, grassless, dirty brick setting. Jesse! Jess shoved the pad and pencils under his mattress and lay down flat, his heart thumping against the quilt. His mother was at the door. You milk yet? He jumped off the bed. Just going to. He dodged around her and out, grabbing the pail from beside the sink and the stool from beside the door before she could ask him what he had been up to. Lights were winking out from all three floors of the old Perkins place. It was nearly dark. Miss Bessie's bag was tight, and she was fidgeting with discomfort. She should have been milked a couple of hours ago. He eased himself onto the stool and began to tug. The warm milk pinged into the pail. Down on the road, an occasional truck passed by with its dimmers on. His dad would be home soon, and so would those cagey girls who managed somehow to have all the fun and leave him and his mother with all the work. He wondered what they had bought with all their money. Lord what he wouldn't give for a new pad of real art paper and a set of those marking pens color pouring out onto the page as fast as you could think it not like stubby school crange you had to press down on until someone bitched about you breaking them a car was turning in it was a Timmins the girls would beat dad home Jessica heard the happy calls the car door slammed Mama would fix him supper and when he went in with the milk, He'd find them all laughing and chattering. Mama didn't even forget she was tired and mad. He was the only one who had to take that stuff. Sometimes he felt so lonely among all these females. Even the one rooster had died and they hadn't gotten another. With his father gone from sunup until well past dark, who was there to know how he felt? Weekends weren't any better. His dad was so tired from the wear and tear of the week and trying to catch up around the place that when he wasn't actually working, he was sleeping in front of the TV. Hey, Jesse, Maybell, the dumb kid wouldn't even let you think privately. What do you want now? He watched her shrink two sizes. I got something to tell you, she hung her head. You ought to be in bed, he said huffily, mad at himself for cutting her down. Ellie and Brenda come home, came, came home. Why couldn't he stop picking on her? But her news was too delicious to let him stop her sharing it. Ellie bought herself a see through blouse and mama's throwing a fit. Good, he thought. That ain't nothing to cheer about, he said. Berrippity, berrippity, berrippity. Daddy! Maybelle screamed with delight and started running for the road. Jess watched his dad stop the truck, leaned over to unlatch the door so Maybell could climb in. He turned away. Dern lucky kid. She could run after him and grab him and kiss him. It made Jess ache inside to watch his dad grab the little ones to his shoulder or lean down and hug him. It seemed to him that he had been thought too big for that since the day he was born. When the pail was full, he gave Miss Bessie a pat to move her away. Putting the stool under his left arm, he carried the heavy pail carefully so none of the milk would slop out. Mighty late with the milk aren't you son? It was the only thing his father said directly to him all evening. The next morning, he almost didn't get up at the sound of the pickup he could feel even before he became fully awake how tired he still was but maybelle was grinning at him propped up on one elbow ain't you gonna run she asked no he said shoving the sheet away i'm gonna fly because he was more tired than usual he had to push himself harder he pretended that wayne Pattis was there just ahead of him and he had to keep up His feet pounded the uneven ground, and he thrashed his arms harder and harder. He'd catch him. Watch out, Wayne Pettis, he said between his teeth. I'll get you. You can't beat me. If you're so afraid of the cow, the voice said, why don't you just climb the fence? He paused in midair like a stop-action TV shot and turned, almost losing his balance, to face the questioner who was sitting on the fence nearest the old Perkins place, dangling brown bare legs. The person had jaggedy brown hair cut close to its face and wore one of those blue undershirt-like tops with faded jeans cut off above the knees. He couldn't honestly tell whether it was a boy or a girl. Hi, he or she said, jerking his or her head towards the Perkins place. We just moved in. Just stood where he was, staring. The person slid off the fence and came towards him. I thought we might as well be friends, it said. There's no one else close by. Girl, he decided. Definitely a girl. But he couldn't have said why he was suddenly sure. She was about his height. Not quite, though, he was pleased to realize she came nearer. My name's Leslie Burke. She even had one of those dumb names that could go either way. But he was sure now that he was right. What's the matter? Huh? Is something the matter? Yeah, no. "'He pointed his thumb in the direction of his own house "'and then wiped his hair off his forehead. "'Just errands. "'Too bad Maybell's girl came in the wrong size. "'Well... "'Well,' he nodded at her. "'See ya.' "'He turned towards the house. "'No use trying to run anymore this morning. "'Might as well milk Miss Bessie and get that out the way.' "'Hey!' "'Leslie was standing in the middle of the cow field, "'her head tilted and her hands on her hips. "'Where are you going?' I got work to do, he called back over his shoulder. When he came out later with the pail and stool, she was gone. Chapter 3. The Fastest Kid in the 5th Grade Jess didn't see Leslie Burke again except from a distance until the first day of school, the following Tuesday, when Mr. Turner brought her down to Miss Myers' 5th grade class at Lark Creek Elementary. Leslie was still dressed in the faded cutoffs and the blue undershirt. She had sneakers on her feet but no socks. Surprise switched up from the class like steam from a released radiator cap. They were all sitting there primly dressed in their spring Sunday bests. Even Jess wore one pair of corduroys and an iron shirt. The reaction didn't seem to bother her. She stood there in front, her eyes saying, Okay, friends, here I am, in answer to their open-mouthed stares while Miss Myers fluttered about trying to figure out where to put the extra desk. The room was a small basement one, and five rows of six desks already filled it more than comfortably. Thirty-one. Miss Myers kept mumbling over her double chin. Thirty-one. No one else has more than twenty-nine. She finally decided to put the desk up against the side wall near the front. Just there for now, uh, Leslie. It's the best we can do. For now. This is a very crowded classroom. She swung a pointed glance at Mr. Turner's retreating form. Leslie waited quietly until the 7th grade boy who had been sent down with the extra desk scraped it into position hard against the radiator and under the first window. Without making any noise, she pulled it a few inches forward from the radiator and settled herself into it. Then she turned once more to gaze at the rest of the class. 30 pairs of eyes were suddenly focused on desktop scratches. Jess ran his forefinger around the heart with two pairs of initials, BR plus SK, trying to figure out whose desk he had inherited. Probably Sally Kochs. Girls did more of the hard stuff in fifth grade than boys. Besides, BR must be Billy Rudd. Billy was known to favor Myrna Hauser last spring. Of course, these initials might have been here longer than that, in which case, Jesse Aarons, Bobby Greggs, pass out the arithmetic books, please. On the last word, Miss Myers flashed her famous first day of school smile. It was said in the upper grades that Miss Myers had never been seen to smile except on the first and the last day of school. Jess roused himself and went to the front. As he passed Leslie's desk, she grinned and rippled her fingers low in a kind of wave. He jerked a nod. He couldn't help feeling sorry for her. It must have been embarrassing to sit in the front when you find yourself dressed funny on the first day of school, and you don't know anybody. He slapped the books down as Miss Myers directed. Gary Fulcher grabbed his arm as he went by. Gonna run today? Jess nodded. Gary smirked. He thinks he can beat me. The dumbhead. At the thought, something jiggled inside Jess. He knew he was better than he had been last spring. Fulcher might think he was going to be the best, now that Wayne Pettis in six. But he, Jess, planned to give old Fulcher a little surprise come noon. It was as though he had swallowed grasshoppers. He could hardly wait. Miss Myers handed out books almost as though she were the President of the United States, dragging the distribution process out in senseless signings and ceremonies. It occurred to Jess that she, too, wished to postpone regular school as long as possible. When it wasn't his turn to pass out books, Jess sneaked out a piece of notebook paper and drew. He was toying with the idea of doing a whole book of drawings. He ought to choose one chief character and do a story about it scribbled several animals and tried to think of a name. A good title will get him started. The Haunted Hippo? He liked the ring of it. Herbie the Haunted Hippo? Even better. The Case of the Crooked Crocodile? Not bad. What you drawing? Gary Fulcher was leaning way over his desk. Jess covered the page with his arm. Nothing. Oh, come on. Let me see. Jess shook his head. Gary reached down and tried to pull Jess's hand away from the paper. The case of the crooked... Come on, Jess, he whispered hoarsely. I ain't gonna hurt nothing. He yanked at Jess's thumb. Jess put both arms over the paper and brought a sneaker heel crashing down on Gary Fulcher's toe. Yahoo! Boys, Miss Meyer's face lost its lemon pie smile. He stomped my toe. Take your seat, Gary. But he... Sit down. Jesse Aarons, one more peep from your direction and you can spend recessing here, copying the dictionary. Jesse's face was burning hot. He slid the notebook paper back under his desktop and put his head down. A whole year of this. Eight more years of this. He wasn't sure he could stand it. The children ate lunch at their desks. The county had been promising Lark Creek a lunchroom for 20 years, but the nurse seemed to be enough money. Jess had been so careful not to lose his recess time that even now he chewed his bologna sandwich with his lips shut tight and kept his eyes on the initial heart. Around him, conversations buzzed. They were not supposed to talk during lunch. But it was the first day, and even monster Mouth Meyer shot fewer flames on the first day. She's eating clabber. Two seats up from where he sat, Mary Lou Peoples is at work being the second snottiest girl in the fifth grade. Yogurt, stupid. Don't you watch TV? This from Wanda K. Moore, the snottiest, who sat immediately in front of Jess, Yuck. Okay. So, clabbered milk is a type of soured milk. It is raw, whole milk left out at room or warmer temperatures until it sours and thickens up even more than simple soured milk. It becomes thick, tangy, and very rich. It's often sold at grocery stores where it's called buttermilk. Okay. I mean, not as something to eat at lunch, but okay. I use buttermilk for my uh, menus. I I can see that, but not as something to eat. Look, No, thank you. I'm not eating sour milk on purpose. Lord, why couldn't they leave people in peace? Why shouldn't Leslie Burke eat anything she darn pleased? He forgot that he was trying to eat carefully and took a loud slurp of his milk. Wanda Moore turned around, all prist face. Jesse Aarons, that noise is pure repulsive. He glared at her hard and gave another slurp. You are disgusting. The recess bell. With a yelp, the boys were pushing for first place at the door. The boys will all sit down. Oh, Lord. While the girls line up to go out to the playground. Ladies first. The boys quivered on the edge of their seats like moths fighting to be free to cocoons. Would she never let them go? Alright, now a few boys, they didn't even give her a chance to change her mind, they were halfway to the end of the field before she could finish her sentence. The first two out began dragging their toes to make the finish line. The ground was rutted from past rains, but it hardened in the late summer drought, so they had to give up on sneaker toes and draw the line with a stick. The 5th grade boys, bursting with new importance, ordered the 4th graders this way and that, while the smaller boys tried to include themselves without being conspicuous. How many of you guys gonna run? Gary Fulcher demanded. Me, 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 everyone yelled. That's too many. No 1st, 2nd, or 3rd graders, except maybe the Butcher Cousins and Timmy Vaughn. The rest you will just be in the way. Shoulders sagged, but the little boys backed away obediently. I mean, I can see the logic in that. Like, if a third grader can smoke a fifth grader, that means the third grader is really talented. And you don't expect somebody from the second grade just going into the third grade to be able to come out and dust a fifth grader. You know what I'm saying? So, maybe by the end of the year, they'll be able to let them in. But there might have been, like, two or three kids they knew were, like, fast runners. So, they were like, we've been keeping an eye on them. They could come through. But that's it. Those are the only three. Okay, that leaves 26, 27, stand still, 28. You get 28, Greg? Fulcher asked Greg Williams, his shadow. Right, 28. Okay, now, we'll have eliminations like always. Count off by fours. Then we'll run all the ones together, then the twos. We know, we know. Everyone was impatient with Gary, who was trying for all the world to sound like this year's Wayne Pettis. Jess was a four, which suited him well enough. He was impatient to run, but he really didn't mind having a chance to see how the others were doing since spring. Fulcher was a one, of course, having started everything with himself. Jess grinned at Fulcher's back and stuck his hands into the pockets of his corduroys, wiggling his right forefinger through the hole. Gary won the first heat easily and had plenty of breath left to boss the organizing of the second. A few of the younger boys drifted off to play king of the mountain on the slope between the upper and lower fields. Out of the corner of his eye, Jeff saw someone coming down from the upper field. He turned his back and pretended to concentrate on Fulcher's high-pitched commands. Hi! Leslie Burke had come up beside him. He shifted slightly away. "Mm. Aren't you running? Later. Maybe if he didn't look at her, she'd go back to the upper field where she belonged. Gary told Earl Watson to bang the start. Jess watched. Nobody with much speed in that crowd. He kept his eyes on the shirt tails and bent backs. A fight broke out at the finish line between Jimmy Mitchell and Clyde Dill. Everyone rushed to see. Jess was aware that Leslie Burke stayed at his elbow, but he was careful not to look her way. Clyde. Gary Fulcher made his declaration. It was Clyde. It was a tie, Fulcher. A fourth grader protested. I was standing right here. Clyde Deal Jimmy Mitchell's jaw was set I won, Fulcher You couldn't even see from way back there It was Deal Gary ignored the protest We're wasting time All threes line up, right now Jimmy's fist went up Ain't fair, Fulcher Gary turned his back and headed for the starting line I'll let them both run in the finals What's it gonna hurt, Jess said loudly Gary stopped walking and wheeled to face him Fulcher glared first at Jess and then at Leslie Burke. Next thing, he said, his voice dripping with sarcasm, next thing you're going to want to let some girl run. Jess's face went hot. Sure, he said recklessly. Why not? He turned deliberately towards Leslie. Want to run? He asked. Sure, she was grinning. Why not? You ain't scared to let a girl race you, are you, Fulcher? For a minute, he thought Gary was going to sock him, and he stiffened. He mustn't let Fulcher suspect that he was scared of a little belt in the mouth. But instead, Gary broke into a trot and started bossing the threes in the line for their heat. You can run with the fours, Leslie. He said it loudly enough to make sure Fulcher could hear him and then concentrate on the runners. See, he told himself, you can stand up to a creep like Fulcher. No sweat. Bobby Miller won the threes easily. He was the best of the third graders, almost as fast as Fulcher. But not as good as me, Jess thought. He was beginning to get really excited now. There wasn't anybody in the force who could give him much of a race. Still, it would be better to give Fulter a scare by running well in the heat. Leslie lined up beside him on the right. He moved a tiny bit to the left, but she didn't seem to notice. At the bang, Jess shot forward. It felt good, even the rough round against the bottom of his worn sneakers. He was pumping good. He could almost smell Gary Fulter's surprise at his improvement. The crowd was noisier than they had been during the other heats. Maybe they were all noticing. He wanted to look back and see where the others were, but he resisted the temptation. It would seem conceited to look back. He concentrated on the line ahead. It was nearing with every step. Oh, Miss Bessie, if you could just see me now. He felt it before he saw it. Someone was moving up. He automatically pumped harder. Then the shape was there in a the sideways vision, then suddenly pulling ahead. He forced himself now. His breath was choking him, and the sweat was in his eyes, but he saw the figure anyhow. The faded cutoffs crossed the line a full three feet ahead of him. Leslie turned to face him with a wide smile on her tanned face. He stumbled, and without a word began half walking, half trotting over to the starting line. This was the day he was going to be a champion, the best runner of the fourth and fifth grades, and he hadn't even won his heat. There was no cheering at either end of the field. The rest of the boys seemed as stunned as he. The teasing would come later, he felt sure, but at least for the moment, none of them were talking. Okay, Falter took over. He tried to appear very much in charge. Okay, you guys, you can line up for the finals. He walked over to Leslie. Okay, you had your fun. You can run on up to the hopscotch now. But I won the heat, she said. Gary lowered his head like a bull. Girls aren't supposed to play on the lower field better get up there before one of the teachers sees you. I want to run," she said quietly. "You already did." "What's the matter, Fulcher?" All of Jess's anger was bubbling out. He couldn't seem to stop the flow. "What's the matter? Scared the racer?" Fulcher's fist went up, but Jess walked away from it. Fulcher would have to let her run now, he knew. And Fulcher did, angrily and grudgingly. She beat him she came in first and turned her large, shining eyes on a bunch of dumb, sweating, mad faces. The bell rang. Jess started across the lower field, his hands still deep in his pockets. She caught up with him. He took his hands out and began to trot towards the hill. She had gotten him in enough trouble. She speeded up and refused to be shaken off. "'Thanks,' she said. "'Yeah?' "'For what?' he was thinking. "'You're the only kid in this whole darn school who's worth shooting.' He wasn't sure. He thought her voice was quivering, but he wasn't going to start feeling sorry for her again. So shoot me, he said. On the bus that afternoon, he did something he never thought he would do. He sat down beside Maybelle. It was the only way he could make sure that he wouldn't have Leslie plunking herself down beside him. Lord, the girl had no notion of what you did and didn't do. He stared out the window, but he knew she had come and was sitting across the aisle from him. He heard her say, Jess, once, but the bus was noisy enough that he could pretend he hadn't heard. When they came to the stop, he grabbed Maybelle's hand and dragged her off, conscious that Leslie was right behind them. But she didn't try to speak to him again, nor did she follow him. She just took off running to the old Perkins place. He couldn't help turning to watch. She ran as though it was her nature. It reminded him of the flight of wild ducks in the autumn. So smooth. The word beautiful came to his mind, but he shook it away and hurried up towards the house. 916 633 1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. I have some thoughts about how his dad only spoke to him once that day, and it was something uh off putting and mean, kinda. You know, dismissive and downputting. But I have a feeling his dad's going to be like that for the whole book. So I'm going to have a lot of opportunity to speak on it. Let's just say that his dad reminds me of my dad. And I haven't spoken to my dad in a good 13 years. Um, it's just a shame the way men were expected to be completely horrible at uh, showing emotion or really rearing and raising children or talking to children or being around anybody and what a dent it costs in our society. I'm certain I'll talk about it more. Uh, you can leave a review on Spotify. It takes like 13 seconds, maybe 8. I don't know. You can leave a review on Podchaser. Copy and paste that into the Apple Podcast app and then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or on buymeacoffee.com sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler you later. Peace.